class we were seeing that guru maharaj is explaining the one who are eternally free and he was relating to one of those mythological stories which pertains to the bird called homer the homer bird so just let's read those lines the vedas speak of homer bird it lives high up in the sky and there it lays its egg as soon as the egg is laid it begins to fall but it is so high up that it continues to fall for many days as it falls it hatches and the chick falls as the chick falls its eyes open it grows wings as soon as its eyes open it realizes that it is falling and will be dashed to pieces on touching the ground then it at once shoots up toward the mother bird high in the sky so just relating to this story we were indicating that the purity this real sign of purity is not innocence we sometimes say that he is as innocent as a child but we don't know what all is hidden in the subconscious mind to sprout as if as the child grows as he reaches the state of puberty he is now a teenager and then we find suddenly the traits of his characters are changing so what happened there so many latent impressions some scars that were hidden in his subconscious mind which is sprouting so he was quite innocent that we equated with purity but purity is never innocence it is actually vigilance you know the way the mind works you know the subtleties of mind and you nip them at the bud you don't allow them to sprout you're extremely vigilant you know your mind very properly so we will just uh, in the last class also we mentioned the story of guru maharaj and just as a contrast we will speak of one of the stories mentioned in mahabharata that a king wanted her daughter the princess to be married to a very pure soul so that their children the idea that in the vedic society even in every society the idea is there if the mother and father are very pure if they bring the child through prayer to austerity the child is bound to have good samskaras it is the mothers the fathers their austerity their prayer 
that brings forth as if a soul of goods, samskaras, as their children. So that's the idea. So the king, uh, desiring that his progeny should be very pure, they should be a very good integrated character. So instead of marrying her daughter, getting uh, giving her daughter in marriage to some other prince, he resolved that he would rather search for someone who is extremely pure. And the story goes like this: very interesting. The king's, uh, the other emissaries, the spies, they were in search of such a pure soul, and they found that inside the forest there is a rishi whose son, as he is not exposed to the external world, he has grown up, but he knows nothing of the ways of life, and he is very, very pure. Now the king resolved to have that Rishi's son as his son-in-law to get him married with his daughter. So now how to get him? The story is very interesting. It is the princess, other, uh, the friends of princess, the Sakhi, all the mates of the princess, they are also female, they are also girls. They disguise themselves as boys. And when the Rishi will go deep into the forest for his austerity, for his spiritual practices, for his meditation, then this son of the Rishi was alone in the ashram. He was grown up, but he was very innocent. Now these all the girls who were the friends of the princess, they will sneak into, they will come to the forest and as if they are also boys, they will just uh, meet him and try, uh, meet that son of the Rishi and try to develop an acquaintance with him. And this son of the Rishi started feeling an attraction for these so-called boys. Actually, they were the girls in the disguise of boys. And he st even started relating that I don't know why I feel a special attraction for you. And they started coming every day and he started feeling this attraction. And this attraction enabled all these girls to lure him, to take him to the palace. And they met the princess there. And that's how gradually he developed that infatuation, love. And at last, when everything was revealed, there was no other way. He had such a strong attachment for them. There was no other way than to get married. And that's how the king's resolution, king's wish to get the son of Rishi as his son-in-law was fulfilled. So what it speaks of? It speaks of that innocence. It's not purity. Suppose we are a, somehow that a, a child has not been exposed to the external ways of life. He may appear to be pure. That's what happens even in the present day. As long as the child was with his parents, he appeared to be very innocent. Now he's going to the university. He's getting, getting an exposure. And then we find certain traits of character are manifesting. So purity is never innocence. It's the maturity which we grow through experience. If we are not the Nitya Siddhas, those who are not the ever perfect, most probably they were bound. They have gone through the experiences of life and they know very well 
how the mind gradually ensnares us. They have learned it, but they now don't want to be ensnared. So they have to be extremely vigilant. They have to be very, very cautious about the ways of life. In our life, we will find that many people, it is their confidence which becomes the cause of their fall. They think, I will go to the party, I will go mix with everyone, but I won't get affected. I am quite matured. But we find that it's never the case. Gradually, we will find that situation do affect us. The one who has proper intentions will never go there. What's the need? They will avoid the situation because the ways of the mind is such, it will draw us if we allow them to be in such circumstances. And that speaks of that vigilance. As we were indicating in the last class, let's see what's the sign of vigilance. Let's see how the Sri Ramakrishna resolved the life of renunciate. And when he finds that indication in the mind of Holy Mother coming up with that question, will all of them die when Sri Ramakrishna was indicating that what's the need of having children? Just see, in those days, there was the mortality, uh, infant mortality rate was very high, extremely high because of all those pandemic diseases, all cholera, malaria, flu. So they were rampant in the society and we find the children were also affected. The children mortality rate was very high and that's what Sri Ramakrishna was indicating. The first child is born, it will die of malaria. The next child is born, it will die of cholera. And that's how he was relating. And then suddenly Holy Mother from behind the well in a soft voice, just remarked, will all of them die? Immediately Ramakrishna jumped up. He was having, he was as if having a very uh, casual uh, conversation with Holy Mother, but suddenly he became very serious. He, what he jumped up and what he told, oh, as if I have stamped on the tail of a venomous snake and he goes inside. Holy, Mother's, Holy Mother feels extremely embarrassed. She also runs within, inside the house. What that story shows, that when he, that, that the um, Holy Mother as a young girl asks that question, will all of them die? Immediately Ramakrishna understood that there is an expectation for biological child. Otherwise, why will she ask, will all of them die? And immediately all the fun stopped. He jumped up, immediately left that place. So this speaks of that vigilance. You don't allow even a small desire to find place in your mind. You're extremely vigilant. For us, from below the pond, the sanskaras in the form of bubbles are coming up. We only see when it has reached the surface and bursts. And then we have almost no control over the situation. But the evolved soul can see the bubble coming out from the subconscious mind and can take care of it from there itself before it gets the strength to overpower him. And that's the homo bird. Before the fall, it flies up. It knows once it falls, it's gone. It flies up. So that speaks of the tremendous vigilance that never get caught. They never come into the situations that can really ensnare them. Before that, they have already detached themselves from such situation. So that's the sign of purity. While explaining the Nitya Siddha, he's, with this allegory, he's actually explaining us that what purity means. 
for most of us, as we were in the last class, we were indicating that if a sand particle falls on our skin, we don't feel it. It's there, it in no way irritates us. But the same sand particle, if it falls on the eyeball, immediately we find it's how irritating it is. So in the scriptures, they give this example to explain the state of a spiritually evolved soul. Sometimes we don't understand them. We just say that he's actually extremely sensuous. Why? A little, what is the discussion or fun about sensuous matters, which we take casually, it's not affecting us. The so-called spiritually evolved soul will suddenly run away from that place, apparently make us feel that he's extremely affected by all those discussions, as if his condition is worse than us. That's what the, apparently we make the mistake, but actually he's extremely sensitive. He does, he know very well that the thing which appears to be casual is not that casual. It is seeping into your psyche to create a very strong impression. They're already there. They will simply bring that all the sub, from the subconscious mind and immediately overpower you in no time. So that's, that's the sensitivity. Sometimes we mistake that by thinking that he's actually extremely sensuous. It's just the opposite. He's extremely sensitive and immediately leaves the place. So that's the thing which uh, we indicate by saying that purity is vigilance. It's not innocence. It's a tremendous vigilance. And that's what we find from that story of the Homer bird. Now let us proceed to what Sri Ramakrishna uh, has to say about Naren. Still, he's continuing. At this point, Narendra left the room because this topic of the homobird came in relation to Narendra, that Narendra is like that. They're nityasiddha, they never get caught. So when Ramakrishna was praising him so highly, naturally he felt a bit embarrassed in front of others. He was so praising, presence of others, he was being praised. So he, after all, he's a very humble soul. He never liked that, that to be praised, to be projected in front of others. He this real pure souls, that's another sign of purity. They never advertise. Sri Ramakrishna used to say that, used to warn, has warned us in some other place in the gospel. If you see a holy man with a holding, with a sign, never believe him. Because it's the biggest paradox. What's the paradox? That if you are holy, the only sign of holy purity is annihilation of the ego. If you say I am spiritual, it says that I is very prominent. I am holy. I am spiritual. I have such and such realization. Know it for certain. It never speaks of realization. It never speaks of holiness. Because the only sign of spiritual evolution is the annihilation of the I. As Sri Ramakrishna again has again have indicated, when someone asked how shall I be free? His immediate answer was, when I cease to be. When the I ceases, in no way he is going to project himself. Otherwise, spirituality becomes an easy way of projection. You will find in the world, those who are as such not wealthy, not established, they tend to be spiritual. But in 99% case, what happens actually? Everyone wants identity. Among those those people who poses to be spiritual, know it for certain. One person is, of course, generally spiritual. As they have distaste for other things, so naturally they have, they have no wealth, they have no position. They are quite uh, happy with the life they are leading. 
But for the other 99, it's just the opposite. They were not capable of being in that position, but at the same time, they want identity. And it's a very easy way to pose yourself as a spiritual person and try to get the attention of others. So that's why Sri Swami Vivekananda in one place have told very nicely that in this world, to be spiritually minded itself is very difficult. But those who so-called profess to be spiritual, know it for certain, out of that 80% are humbugs. 15% are mentally deranged. That was probably they were trying, but because of uh, uh, lack of proper understanding, just the way how they, we get mentally deranged, just to be very frank, that if you go to the gym today and you find that some who has a really a, a strong bodybuilder, for a long time he is practicing, he has very strong body well built and he does push-ups 100 times easily. And now you get inspired and you try to do 100 push-ups. What will happen? Simply you, your muscles will cramp and uh, you will be injured, isn't it? And that's what happens in spiritual life. There are 80% are humbug. But with the 15%, what's that? They were too eager. They, were, they never gave uh, this importance to the fact that shanai shanai, gradually I have to grow. I just in one day, I cannot think of uh, just getting established in samadhi. I have to take care of my psyche. It has to grow, but it has to grow gradually. I cannot just think of uh, becoming a spiritually illumined soul in one day and resort to some impractical practices. That speaks of that 15% derangement. And then he says the remaining 5% somehow sincerely are progressing towards the goal. So it's not a very easy journey. Every time, every moment, the same Maya, which hoodwinks us, is going to hoodwink us, even when we resolve to take the spiritual journey. So we should be very vigilant. We should be very objective to ourselves. We are objective to others, but we very much, very fondly caress our own ego. We have to be very sternly objective to that, Judge that also the way I judge others. Actually, just the other thing. I have to stop wasting my energy in judging others and use that energy to judge myself. And then only the spiritual progress is possible. So it speaks of that tremendous vigilance. And you find the sign that why Naren, the moment he's praised, just the opposite thing happens. He's leaving the room. He finds it is a bit embarrassing. He doesn't like it. At this point, Naren left the room. Kedar, Pranakrishna, M and many others remained. They were sitting there. And now Ramakrishna continued his praise about Naren. Master, you see Naren excels in singing, playing on instruments, study, and everything. The other day he had a discussion with Kedar and tore his arguments to shreds, all laugh. So he was so much praise for Naren. There's a very interesting, amusing incident in the life of our 13th president, Swami Ranganathanandaji. He was well known throughout the world for his this uh, the gift of gab. He's a very nice orator. Even here in Australia, so many times he came. He could really inspire people through his speech. Of course, his wonderful life and speech. He was the 13th president of our order. And now in his lectures, we'll find a lot of reference of Swami Vivekananda. So one day in Belurmat, uh, he was there for some time. He, uh, he was at that time the vice president of the entire order. 
and he was staying uh, in Hyderabad. He was the president of our Hyderabad Center. And for, on various occasions, of course, he used to visit Belumat. So on one such occasion, and whenever he used to visit, we, the Brahmacharis, will be gathering around him and there will be a bit of conversation. He liked that. So one day, one Brahmachari by just casually told, Swamiji, in your lectures, you refer to Swamiji so much, but there's no ref uh, very few references of Ramakrishna. That's what he indicated. And then what Swamiji told is very interesting. It was, you see, you know that how Ramakrishna used to find out that what, how, what is the nature of the other person? He will ask about Naren, that how is he? If he finds that that person is censoring Naren, he's saying his, uh, his uh, way of life I don't like, yeah, and starts criticizing Naren, Ramakrishna will, be, uh, will say, stop. Immediately he will say, stop. If you go on criticizing Naren, I won't see your face. So that's what he will say. And if anyone praises Naren, he, immediately he will give a certificate. He must be a good person. He's praising Naren. So he had such an unflinching faith on Naren. So this is the Naren which we are finding, that he's good in everything. That's it's a very casual remark. But here, you know, this also we can relate to some of the Ramakrishna's teachings, this which is in the gospel. Ramakrishna is to say a wonderful thing. That as a human being, a human being is like a flute. A flute has many holes. When you're blowing through the pipe of the flute, you have to move your fingers on the hole, allowing some of the holes to be free, some to be pressed by the fingers, then only the music comes out. Now, if you press all the holes and keep one hole open and blow the flute, what will come out is just a mere noise. You cannot get music. So Sri Ramakrishna, the master of example, used to say that human being is like a flute. He has many faculties, but some, most of the time what happens, we get biased to a particular faculty and don't give attention to the development of other faculties. And then what, what happens through our life, what comes out is noise, is not music. What a nice example is giving that you will find that all the fight in the name of religion, which is going on is noise. Why? I believe in such and such philosophy. That's the only ism I believe. I am bhakti. I have nothing to do with jnana. I have nothing to do with action. I am a karma yogi. I have nothing to do with those discriminative knowledge, with those uh, emotions. I have nothing to do. But as a human being, I have emotions. I have the faculty of work. I have the faculty to discriminate. I have the faculty to focus. All those faculties are there. Why should I be one-sided? If God has given me all those faculties, if he has made me like a flute with so many holes, why should I press all of them and just blow through the flute so that only noise comes out through one of the holes? In no way, your life will be an overall development. So let your life sprout. Let your personality will be a personality be like an a full-fledged personality where all the faculties get chance to develop. It's important in spiritual life. Why? It accelerates our spiritual journey. You use all the faculties to reach towards your goal. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say a very interesting thing. That's in the olden days, how to smelt the gold. To smelt gold, nowadays, of course, we have this sophisticated way of this huge furnace with 
or the temperature required to melt the gold. In the olden days, the crude ways they have to use the villages, what they do, what they used to do, that the fire on which they have kept the gold to increase its temperature with a pipe, they will blow it. In hand, they have some uh, hand fan, huge hand fan. They're also using that when they're blowing through the pipe at the same time, they're using the hand. And in the with the feet, there's some, uh, what you say, the paddles are fixed, like the cycle, the paddling, some paddles are there. That is again fixed to some huge fan that also blows. So you're using your hand, your feet, your mouth, everything, with everything, you go on blowing the fire to get the optimum temperature. So Sri Ramakrishna is giving that example. There's so many faculties you have. Why don't you use all of them so that your spiritual journey gets accelerated? It gets intense. So that was the message of his life. And that's what we find. That that's why he's praising that he knows singing. But after all, he doesn't sing some just all ordinary song. It's meant for practicing his devotion, playing instrument. That also is for his devotional practice, his studies, everything. All his faculties he's using. I cannot meditate all the day. What I do other, other, other time, I use other faculties to get engaged in that same thing in different ways by using all my faculties. That's why in our scripture, they say, Sakala ya vimuktai. That's performing art which liberates. It's not just for the tingling of your nerves and for excitement. The way we use the performing arts nowadays with all those hip hop musics. If any patient is there in the hospital and nowadays they have understood that so this, your music is therapeutic, those all hip hop musics won't work. You have to have very soft classical type of music. And that really we find is therapeutic. It's good for your body. It's good for your mind. In the hospital, when they play music, it's always those classical music, which are very slow and soft. What it speaks of, it really helps us to transcend our limitations of body-mind complex. How? By enabling us to enter into a flow. That flow is a very wonderful idea in psychology in the present day. So even when you're listening to a music, you become so focused, the other things falls off. It is as good as a deep contemplation. Everything falls off. The bliss that comes out of is from that state of egolessness, where your awareness of your own body-mind complex has fallen off. Your mind has been drawn by that kala, by that performing art. It immediately gives a tremendous relaxation. You know why? Because unknowingly, unknowingly, we are carrying the baggage of our worries, tensions, our latent impressions. It's always with us. It's so long with us. For life, it is with us. Sometimes, though the, it is weighing us down, we never realize that. We have got habituated by it. But somehow, if someone pulls it down and keeps, then we find a difference. Oh, I feel so relaxed. I never realized that I'm carrying such weight. And that's what happens when we enter into that flow. For the time being, all the baggages has been taken away from you. And you've entered into a state of bliss, relaxation, let go. And that's what happens even in meditation. So that's the thing. Why not we take the help of all of them to 
enter into that state of flow, which speaks of our spiritual evolution. The more you can get rid of this, all these worldly baggages, the more you get automatically identified with that. And Naren has that faculty to relate to all those traits of his character to excel. And that's why Sri Ramakrishna is all praise for him. You just see, he excels in singing, playing on instruments, study and everything. And even in discrimination, the other day he was discussion, he had a discussion with Kedar and tore his arguments to shreds. When the meeting broke up, the devotees sorted in the temple garden, loitered in the temple garden, and went in the direction of the Panchavati. It was about five o'clock in the afternoon. After a while, he returned to the master's room. There on the small north veranda, he witnessed an amazing sight. So for the first time, he's going to witness Samadhi. That's what we'll discuss now. Sri Ramakrishna was standing still, surrounded by a few devotees, and Narendra was singing. Just now we were saying that how music can take you to that state of flow, and lead you to that samadhi that's indicated here. Aim had never heard anyone except the master sing so sweetly. Narendra's voice was something wonderful. So about Narendra's voice, what to speak of his singing, even the way he used to speak, if uh, in the reminiscences it is being, uh, it has been, uh, we find that when in Chicago he was delivering lecture, he, it was uh, this. Uh, his voice was compared with the sonorous church. This, you know, the the bell. It was very deep, but at the same time very soft. It's uh, that voice itself was very enthralling. So here he's, that is being indicated that. Uh, Narain's that he has never heard Ramakrishna's voice was very sweet and that's what he's saying that I have never heard anyone sing so well apart from Ramakrishna Ramakrishna was standing still surrounded by a few devotees and Narendra was singing he had never heard anyone except the master sing so sweetly when he looked at Sri Ramakrishna he has he was struck with wonder for the master stood motionless his eyes transfixed he seemed not even to breathe. A devotee told M that the master was in Samadhi. M had never before seen or heard of such a thing. Silent with wonder, he thought, is it possible for a man to be so oblivious of the outer world in the consciousness of God? How deep his faith and devotion must be to bring about such a state. Does the idea of Videha in the Yoga Sutra. That through the flow, you enter into such a state, your total mind is absorbed in that divine contemplation. It has made you totally oblivious of your surrounding, not only that, of your own body. And there is, even in the life of Ramakrishna, we will find much later when he was suffering from cancer, when he was in Samadhi, the doctor was present. He doubted that can a man be really that motionless or is he feigning? And in you know the medical science, the way to find out whether a person is in coma is to touch the eyeball. Even in deep sleep, if you touch the eyeball, the person will react. But one when he is in coma, if you touch the eyeball, there is no reaction. And the doctor was amazed. There was no reaction. He touched the eyeball. He was total bodylessness. There's no sense of body. 
has went to that type of that state because of tremendous absorption. So when we read in the scriptures, that's what these lives are so important, you know, because when we read in the scriptures, we doubt. Sometimes we find, we feel that these are all exaggerations. Can it ever happen? So the lives of this holy man are the living commentary of the scripture. By seeing that, we get convinced that these are not mere words. It can happen. And that's what has happened in Mahindranath's life. For the first time, he was amazed. He could never believe that such is possible. So he finds that Ramakrishna has entered into that state of Samadhi. What Samadhi? The Samadhi means Triputi Bheda is Samadhi. That sometimes we may feel that, oh, I have experienced such a nice meditation. Most probably it is Samadhi. No. The only proof of Samadhi is what? When you forget yourself. You are so absorbed in the object of meditation that you have become one with it. For the time being, you for, forgot yourself. Just, that's what the Triputi Bheda means. There's, even when my mind is very much focused, still I have the distinction of three things. Triputi, what are they? Dhyana, Dhyata, Dhyaya. The one who is meditating is Dhyata. The object of meditation is Dhyaya. The, two which, the, the process which connects these two is Dhyana. So he's aware that he is meditating on something. But when the Samadhi, what's the Samadhi happens? That your amnes has totally collapsed. You become one with the object of meditation. It's very, dis- very difficult to describe. But that's the state which speaks of so much absorption. Even uh, uh, in psychology, we can understand that the, our mind has a limited power of focus, uh, of processing information. When I'm talking to you, if, if someone talks, someone calls me, I can hear. Because just to talk, I need only a small part of my mind. The remaining mind is free to take care of other things. But when I'm watching the TV, the news or some sports or some games are going on, and I'm so absorbed, someone calls, I don't hear. Why? Because most of the mind has been taken away by the object of my focus. Very little portion of the my mind remains to process the other information. It's, no, it's almost not available. It's been taken away by the object of focus. So now you will understand that however my mind be absorbed, at last, the minimal focus remains in the sense of I, the limited sense of ego. To take away that is something very, very difficult. But that too happens when your mind, the focus becomes too intense. That last basal portion of the mind, which is required to keep your ego intact, that also has been taken away by the object of meditation. And you, that ego falls off. And that's the state in which you become totally oblivious of the surrounding, not only that, of your own body. Someone has to hold you, otherwise you may fall. His body becomes stiff, just like uh, so, uh, what you say, that uh, uh, stiff and so motionless that by itself it cannot stand. Someone has to hold, otherwise he may fall. And that's the state in which Ramakrishna was. So all this description becomes palpable in one moment if we can see such a person. And that's what is the cause of the amazement of of Mahindrana, seeing the master in that state. For the first time in his life, he's observing someone in the deep state of Samadhi. And what Narendra was singing, he was singing a song, 
that's uh, just a few lines we read meditate oh my mind it's actually a bengali song it's a translation on the lord hari the stainless one pure spirit through and through it's the the exact words are chidanando shindhunire premanando lahori so it's uh, uh, that's the translation of that song is being where uh, in the is uh, written in english in translation it loses its that uh, the strength but uh, just for the sake of the your information i will just read out the entire song the translated song then meditate o oh my mind on the lord hari the stainless one pure spirit through and through how peerless is the light that in him shines how soul bewitching is his wondrous form how dear is he to all his devotees ever more beauteous is fresh blossoming love that shames the splendor of a million moons like lightning gleams the glory of his form raising erect the hair for very joy means getting horripilation because of your communion with the divine so these are the mere words for us but ramakrishna was like in his own word like a dry match stick it needs a little friction in immediately to flare up for us our uh, we are like a wet match stick we are just being moistened by all the so called the worldly way of life so even after 1000 after 100 strikes it doesn't gets lighted up but he was like a dry match stick just a little strike is required immediately it flares up all the the spiritual faculties and takes him to the samadhi that was the song which narain was singing which led ramakrishna to samadhi and when he is coming down that's being explained the master shuddered when this last line was sung his hair stood on end and tears of joy streamed down his cheeks now and then his lips parted in a smile so in bhakti shastra they speak of this the satvik uh this bhava there are eight expressions of the satvik bhava what are they stambha you become motionless that was indicated previously as your sense of the body falls off you become motionless stambha swayda this sweating profusely because this uh, in you it, there is a tremendous action in inaction apparently the body is still but the mind is extremely focused and it needs tremendous mental power tremendous energy to keep that focus that's why you will find that in spiritual life it is being mentioned that don't fetter away your energies in the sense of pleasures because for that uh, to be established in that realization you need tremendous energy so this speaks that's why that of this profuse sweating he is motionless as if doing nothing but that so much of energy is required to keep that mind in that high state of focus swayda sweating romancha you get this goosebumps because of that you the joy which emanates what that emanates from that type of union it gives you horripilation that romancha and if you try to just talk when we are extremely emotional when we are extremely filled with emotions what happen we find our voice gets choked 
So that's being indicated. Swarabheda, you get choked. Vepathu, your body starts trembling. And the other characteristics also has been spoken of, like asru, the tears flows down. And then the last thing is pralaya, unconscious, when he cannot bear anymore with this so much of uh, this onslaught of emotions. It at last can result in that losing total consciousness. So that is the state of pralaya. So these are the eight sattvic bhavas which we find as indicated in the scriptures. And as these words really become enlivened, when we see all these signs and symptoms finding expression through the life of Sri Ramakrishna. And that's why the God comes down to make the scriptures meaningful. The scriptures are there. God speaks nothing beyond the scriptures. But the scriptures, if something becomes totally incomprehensible because we don't find any example uh, which actually can explain the scriptures. So they come down to exemplify the scriptures and to bring back our faith on the words of the scriptures. And once we get the faith, then only the motivation comes. Otherwise, we will take them mere poetry. It will never help us to internalize those things in our life. So there is a two words, vigraha and ahangraha. For most of us, the deity is a vigraha. We come, go to the shrine with folded hands, we pray that you are the pure, I am impure. I come and bow down because you are the sign of purity. But that way, that purity is not helping me. If I am impure, then he's, what's, what's, the, what's avail, how it avails that, that Lord's purity, how it avails in my life, how it helps me in my life. So that purity has to be internalized. So that vigraha should become ahangraha. The Lord no more should be in the shrine. He should be now be in your heart. He should be enshrined in your heart. And if he's enshrined in your heart, you become the temple. And if you become the temple, temple should be clean. It should be perfectly clean. It should. We never keep the temple untidy. It should be perfectly decorated and clean. And that's what your mind should be decorated by all those good values. And your senses should be cleansed from all the sensed pleasures and you become the temple. And that's you become the this, the vigraha is now enshrined. That, that's the ahangraha. You are yourself the vigraha now. And that's what to show that to the humanity, God comes down. The otherwise just mere believing. We say just believe in such and such person, you will be liberated. Know it for certain. If the belief doesn't transform my life, liberation cannot come. Belief is a belief when I find the transformation is happening. Otherwise, it's mere words. I say I believe in God, but it in no way brings transformation in my life. Then we can be sure about the fact that belief is just a lip service. It has nothing to do with the real feeling in his heart. If you really feel that you are, that uh, what you say, that you really appreciate God's purity, how come that purity doesn't reflect through your life? It has to reflect. And that's the thing which we find in the life of Ramakrishna, that wonderful life through which all the things which has been indicated in the scriptures is getting enlivened. The song went on, worship his feet in the lotus of your heart. With mind serene and eyes made radiant, 
with heavenly love behold that matchless sight again that bewitching smile the body motionless as before the eyes half shut as if beholding a strange inner vision very interesting there are three or four pictures of ramakrishna most probably ramakrishna is of that age where the photography came it's where we don't know we don't know how jesus looked we don't know how buddha looked it's all photograph it is all pictures drawn pictures where the imagination uh, actually plays a great role in depicting their uh, resemblance but here we are of that age where we could take the photography of a divine incarnation and very interesting not a single photo of ramakrishna you will find the eyes totally open so three four times occasions it happened the photo was taken but they could never take photo with eyes open because for ramakrishna most of the time he was in that indrawn state it was very difficult to take a photo where his eyes were open all the photos you will find eyes half closed he is in a state of deep divine contemplation so here also it is mentioned that same thing again that bewitching smile the body motionless as before the eyes half shut as if beholding a strange inner vision the song drew to a close narendra sang the last lines caught in the spell of his love's ecstasy immerse yourself for evermore o mind in him who is pure knowledge and pure bliss the wordings of the song was exemplified through the samadhi of ramakrishna that this words for us are mere poetry unless we find a figure like ramakrishna exemplifying it that what actually that immersion means that was just palpably visible through his life immerse yourself forever more mind in him who is pure knowledge and pure bliss the sight of the samadhi and the divine bliss he had witnessed left an indelible impression on m's mind he returned home deeply moved now and then he could hear within himself the echo of those soul intoxicating lines immerse yourself forever more o mind in him with pure knowledge and pure bliss the next day too was a holiday for m he arrived at dakshineshwar at 3 o'clock in the afternoon sri ramakrishna was in was in his front room was in his room narendra bhavanath and a few other devotees were sitting on a mat spread on the floor they were all young men of 19 or 20 seated on the small couch sri ramakrishna was talking with them and smiling no sooner had m entered the room than the master laughed aloud and said to the boys there he has come again they all joined in laughter m bowed low before him and took a seat before this he had saluted the master with folded hands like one with an english education but that day he learned to fall down at his feet in orthodox hindu fashion presently the master explained the cause of his laughter to the devotees he said a man once fed a peacock with a pill of opium at 4 o'clock in the afternoon 
The next day, exactly at that time, the peacock came back. It had felt the intoxication of the drug and returned just in time to have another dose. So that's the thing Sri Ramakrishna, how nicely he's indicating that, uh, that he's already intoxicated. The last day he came, and this is a very this is the intoxication in a very good way. That all other intoxication binds us. This is the intoxication that is going to liberate us. But Ramakrishna was having a fun with the other boys by relating this in, intoxication in the form of an allegory. M thought. Uh, this, this intoxication is very interesting. Uh, there's, uh, there's a story in the life of another dis disciple of Ramakrishna. His name was Kalipada Ghosh. He was a wretched. He was, he was such a drunkard, means uh, his wife came to Dakshineshwar long back and uh, went to Ramakrishna to ask that, can you give me some, you know, this all this herbal medicines or something? Uh, by which the, the, this, uh, this in India, the practices are there. So you go to holy man and say that I have such and such difficulties. They will give some uh, something, some herbs, which uh, they say has been uh, made vibrant with some spiritual power through some mantras. All those type of beliefs are there. Now the general people come to holy man for such thing only. They, they are not attracted by his spiritual uh, life. That some power should they may have, they should have. And they should be helped by with the help of those powers, they should be helped. So Kalipada's wife went long back to get some design like this totka, some, uh, some herbs which has been uh, made powerful with some uh, mantras. And Ramakrishna felt amused because he never do, did also his practice. So just to make a fun, what he told, it's not me. You pointed to the this the Nahabat where Holy Mother used to stay, and told you go there you will find a lady, she can give you all those things. And this uh, she went uh, to, to Holy Mother, and when she related that uh, I have been sent by him that you can give some something uh, uh, to cure my husband from this uh, from being a drunkard, Holy Mother understood that Ramakrishna is playing pranks. So he told no 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 it's not me. He is just joking with you. Go back to him. You fall at his feet. It is he who can help you. And this went on two, three times. Whenever he's going to Ramakrishna, he's sending it back to Holy Mother. Holy Mother was not in a mood to make fun. He seriously told you, go to Ramakrishna. But at last when uh, he was again sent back, after three times he was sent back to Holy Mother. Now what Holy Mother did, every day she used to do some puja, some bilbo leaves, some flowers after that puja uh, offering was remaining there. He again touched it in the feet of the Ramakrishna's photo was there uh, in his room, in her room. She touched and just packed them in a small piece of cloth and gave it to her and told you keep it. After 12 years, this Kalipado came and that also totally drunk. And seeing him, Ramakrishna immediately realized who is he? Seeing him, he told after tormenting his wife for 12 years, he's there again. He's now here. And this Kalipada was so shameless. After coming to Dakshineshwar, he asked Ramakrishna, do you have wine? And Ramakrishna was very amused. He told, yeah, I do have, but it is very costly. 
Well, is it a British wine? Well, it is even costlier than that. So that's what Ramakrishna indicated, that he has a wine which is extremely expensive. Kalipada took it literally. Later he found out that what Ramakrishna meant is the wine of divine love. It is very expensive. It is much more powerful than this ordinary wine. It can intoxicate you. You lose your consciousness in the love of the divine. The world becomes oblivious. What can be more powerful? That's the powerful thing. And that's the thing with which Master Mahesh has been intoxicated. A small dose of it. And that's what he's indicating. A man once fed a peacock with a pill of opium at four o'clock in the afternoon. The next day, exactly at that time, the peacock came back. It had felt the intoxication of the drug and returned just in time to have another dose. And thought this a very apt illustration. Even at home, he had been unable to banish the thought of Sri Ramakrishna for a moment. His mind was constantly at Dakshineshwar and he had counted the minutes until he should go again. In the meantime, the master was having great fun with the boys, treating them as if they were his most intimate friends. Peals of side-splitting laughter filled the room as if it were a mart of joy. The whole thing was a revelation to M. He thought, didn't I see him only yesterday intoxicated with God? Wasn't he swimming then in the ocean of divine love? A sight I had never seen before. And today the same person is behaving like an ordinary man. Wasn't it he who scolded me on the first day of my coming here? Didn't he admonish me saying, and you are a man of knowledge? Wasn't it he who said to me that God with form is as true as God without form? Didn't he tell me that God alone is real and all else illusory? Wasn't it he who advised me to live in the world unattached, like a maidservant in a rich man's house? This same man, he's just making fun with the young boy as if he's also one of them. So this is the thing even Shankaracharya indicates. There's a sign of a realized soul. He is in no way attached to any particular way of living. Why? When the ego falls off, even our behavioral pattern is linked with the ego. Just the way you will find a small child is in no way linked to any particular mood. This moment, they, had, they must probably have fight with some other children or with a sibling. The mother comes and says, no, you shouldn't fight. And the next moment you will find they are just, uh, they're just uh, going, just with their hands on the other shoulder. Now they're friends. In, it doesn't take five minutes. Their mood has changed. The lesser the ego, the lesser is our identification with the so-called, our personality. We all, the Ramakrishna is, is one thing our, which Swami Vivekananda told, that everyone says that I am full of knowledge. Actually, I am devotion. My external is knowledge. Ramakrishna was just the opposite. Externally, he was full of bhakti, but inside the core, he was knowledge. Nothing can swerve him. So why I'm saying this, that you know, for most of us, our personality is like a mollusk. We all are so vulnerable inside. Outside, we make a show of our personality. 
as Ramakrishna jokingly used to say, you see these men with so thick mustache, you go and find at their home, they're all uh, the slave to their wives' whims and fancies. Means, uh, so that's what he's saying, that all these are pretensions. You just throw a stone, the outside, the mollusk, this, that hard covering is broken and it's all vulnerable. It's all just that pulp. So all our external behavior is just like a mollusk, but he is the real vertebrate. Outwardly, he's so uh, mixing with all, playing, having fun, but nothing can swerve him from his realization. A little, a little spark of the divine talk will again take him there. These external things. He did it to a certain extent consciously. You know why? He used to say a very interesting thing that unless you give the young one a little, if you like fish, then you will like the smell of the fish. So he used to say, I don't give them fish. I just then give them, in his word, ashdhoajal. Ashdhoajal means the water which, uh, uh, with which you have cleansed this fish. So it has a smell of the fish, but it is not the real fish. So he says that I give these boys a little that water with, with which the fish has been cleansed. Otherwise, why would they come? Very interesting. Why? What he's what he says that we, when we are ex, we are in the sunset plane of existence. God wants us to pull us from there. But if he just speaks of this pure thing, we won't come. So he gives that. He that is not the real fish. He will sometimes make fun, make reference to very worldly ways of thinking. With that, he will pull you up. So it's a very interesting thing that just the way the mother mother doesn't want the child to have too much of lollipops. It's not good for the child. But sometimes to motivate the child to do something good, some good, she will just uh, lure him with a lollipop. Intention is not to feed him that lollipop or make him addicted to that. It's just a, a way to lure him to do the thing which he's supposed to do. And that was the way of the master. He just went down to their level as he became one of them. And that's how he conquered them all. And that's from there he's bringing them to the high stages of realization. The same man we will find is very stern. When, holy, holy, when they used to stay overnight, these boys with whom he's having so much of fun, when these, they used to stay overnight so that they can do some tapasya, some spiritual practice, getting up early in the morning, Ramakrishna made it sure that how many breads they will have, the chapatis, the rotis. If Holy Mother will give one extra, he was very strict. And there we find the mother is very lenient. She will say, I will take care of their, of their destiny. You need not have to bother. So, she, so here we find this wonderful balance between discipline and grace. Wonderful balance. The mother is all graceful and Ramakrishna, the one who is so much loving, is at the same time very stern, very disciplined. But all this laughter is the way to be with them, to make them their own and then take them to the higher realms of spiritual realization. So this is the same man. Master was astonished to see, uh, Mahindranath was astonished to see Ramakrishna in this state. And then Sri Ramakrishna was having great fun with the young devotees. 
Now and then he glanced at M. He noticed that M sat in silence. The master said to Ramlal, you see, he is a little advanced in years and therefore somewhat serious. He sits quiet while the youngsters are making merry. M was then about 28 years old. He was a bit senior to those boys. They were in their teen age. He was 28 years old. The conversation drifted to Hanuman, whose picture hung on the wall in the master's room. Sri Ramakrishna said, just imagine Hanuman's state of mind. He didn't care for money, honor, creature comforts, or anything else. He longed only for God. When he was running away with a heavenly weapon that had been secreted in the crystal pillar, Mandodari began to tempt him with various fruits so that he might come down and drop the weapons. But he couldn't be tricked so easily. In reply to her persuasions, he sang this song. Am I indeed? Am I in need of fruit? I have the fruit that makes this life fruitful indeed within my heart. The tree of Rama grows, bearing salvation for its fruit. Under the wish-fulfilling tree of Rama do I sit at ease, plucking whatever fruit I will. But if you speak of fruit, no beggar I for common fruit. Behold, I go, leaving a bitter fruit for you. So that's the dramatic way of Hanuman's uh, reply to Mandodari. So these are the stories which are related. Uh, these stories are very interesting, which speaks of the idea that there cannot, there cannot be any rival in God's love. The, even in the Bible, it is mentioned so many places. In the Testament, it is mentioned, New Testament, Old Testament. The God is the most jealous God. You mean, what's the jealousy? When you love someone, if you find that he or she loves, have some small love for someone else also, the feeling that you have is a jealousy. You feel that the entire love should be, di should be too directed towards you, the one whom you love, his or her. So God is that jealous. When you say, I love God, God wants to see whether that love is not diverted even a bit to anything else. It should be totally focused to the Lord and Lord alone. That's why in a common usage in our Bengali, they say, that as if God says, Je kore amar ash, ami kori tar shorbonash, tobuo je kore amar ash, ami hoi tar dasher dash. Very, it's very, very strong words. What says the one who desires me at first, I as if destroy him, Sharvanash. But still, if he desires me, I become the servant of his servant. The idea is God tests. He's a jealous God. When you say I love him, all the things which so-called you feel is your own. He will test by as if doing destruction to you, that sometimes you find all the mishaps happening. Do you still can say, you have that strength to say, I still love God? And then God will become the servant of your servant of your love. That's the idea. So he's, there's, there cannot be any rivalry in God's love. And that's the thing which you find in the Hanuman's uh, life, which has been spoken of. Nothing can divert him. No persuasions can help. 
he is focused to his mission. So that's the thing which has been indicated. So with this, this gospel is a wonderful thing. Each and every line you can find that is full of so there's so many the spiritual ideas. It's a fist of ideas. So we will go on with our discussion again. The next class will be, of course, after the Navaratri. The next Tuesday, we won't have the class. The following Tuesday, again, we will continue with the study of the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna. So with this, we stop our discussion today. Namaskars to you all. Thank you.